1: Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. This panel session was part of Brexit Britain, an afternoon of debate and discussion produced by BBC Newsnight in partnership with Intelligence Squared at the Royal Geographical Society in London.
2: Very warm welcome to you. Um, Literally. As George Galloway would say, I admire your indefatigability in uh, coming here today. Uh, I hope you enjoy it and you find it stimulating. We at Newsnight are not event organisers as such, um, and we partnered with uh, Intelligence Squared, who've done a great job at uh, assisting us uh, with the construction of this day. Now, I just want to know a little bit about the audience. So, I'm sure, do our panel. Um, there's only one question that matters, isn't there? <laughs> How many of you voted Remain? Right. How many of you voted Brexit? I said it's going to be 80, I said it's going to break 80 20 for Remain. I'm going to call that what, 90 10, do we think? 90 10, okay. Uh, I may ask that question again when we're on air, um, so stick to what your things are, um, stick to your views, we don't want you changing. Um, yeah, so like a question time, the audience is normally constructed to be more balanced, but this was a, a paying event in West London, and um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not typical of the entire nation. Now, our first session, ladies and gentlemen, our first session uh, is, essentially, we're not going to discuss Norway or Switzerland or Article 50. We're not going to discuss Theresa May. We're not going to discuss the state of the Labour Party. This first session is, what have we learned about our country out of this referendum and the campaign that went before it. Okay, what have we learned about our country and its divisions? We have a great panel uh, who I will introduce, and I'm going to get them to talk for two minutes each on something we've learned about our country. We'll have a bit of discussion up here. We'll open up to the floor. Um, there's this kind of fixed mic if you're upstairs. You have to go to the mic. And we'll have roving mics downstairs. Our panel for this is Billy Bragg, a uh, musician Activist, uh, a remainer, uh, campaigned in one event with Jeremy Corbyn. Which side was he on, actually, Billy, in that event? (laughs) (laughs) This is a
3: media distortion of the reality that I
2: lived. Okay, okay, cool. You will tell us. Um, Next to Billy, Alp Mehmet, who's uh, from Migration Watch, former diplomat, uh, and in his personal capacity, a Brexiteer, but he's not Migration Watch, which campaigns for controlled immigration Migration Watch didn't actually take a position officially in the referendum um, Suzanne Evans third, third in there uh, was deputy chair of UKIP uh, until Nigel Farage thought she was too much of a threat and had her suspended from the party, but that's a whole different story, and that's not the real view of it. Uh, that's not his line of it. But uh, no, was suspended and is um, UKIP dep- UK deputy chair. Has been a long-standing, was a long-standing member of the party until she was suspended. And last and not least, Torsten Bell at the end, who is director of the Resolution Foundation, which is a think tank that's come from nowhere to sort of 80 miles per hour in a very short period of time, and specialises in kind of analysing living standards, wages, benefits, the interaction of them, uh, and sometimes gives the Institute for Fiscal Studies a run for its money. Okay, we're going to have two minutes from each of you on the divisions. Billy, we're going to put you first.
3: Thank you very much. Well, uh, the last uh, month or so, I've been trying, like everybody else, to work out uh, what Brexit means outside of just the fact that we're going to leave the european union what what does it mean to our country where the divisions uh, have, have arisen and it's very i think it's very difficult to discern you know, i don't think it's north south or old young or, uh, these kind of things and all i can really talk about with any um experience is what happened in the town where i come from where my family live which is uh, the london borough of barking and Dagnham, which was one of the few Uh, London boroughs that voted by two to one to leave the European Union. Now, the three issues that were very important to people during the referendum were the economy, immigration and sovereignty. Now, um, Barking and Dagenham has a a real uh, uh, issue about the economy. When I left school in uh, 1974, 40,000 people worked at the car factory there, worked at Fords in Dagenham. Now, only 4,000 people work there and don't make cars, they just make engines. And as a result of that, uh, house prices in Barking and Dagenham are the lowest in Greater London, possibly the lowest in the southeast. As a result of that, there's been a huge influx of people, mostly uh, people from um, Africa, actually, in Barking and Dagenham, coming to live there, which put incredible pressure on social services, on uh, schools, on uh, doctor's waiting lists. Now, the, the, the underlying uh, story there uh, it also... Um, Uh, involves the the, the huge changes that people have seen in Barkin and Dagenham. It's gone from being a, uh, 20 years ago, uh, 99% white borough to now something around 80%. And these are real, uh, genuine concerns, legitimate concerns that the people have there. But the the real problem is the the loss of uh, manufacturing jobs. And although people talk a lot about immigration, I think if all of the immigrants were taken out of Barkin and Dagnum, I don't think this would bring Henry Ford back. The real bottom-line problem there is for the last 30 years, uh, we have ceded power to the markets, to the bond markets. And the other issue that that flows into that, obviously, is one of sovereignty. If we're only concerned about our sovereignty with the European Union, it it starts to look like we've got a thing about foreigners. Our sovereignty, really, the real problem with our sovereignty is that we've... we've, um, Uh, Leased it to the to the global markets, and I feel that the vote in places like Barking and Dagenham was a vote against globalization rather than a vote against immigration. It was a vote for people who feel that nobody stands up and speaks for them. The Labour Party have been in power in Barking and Dagenham since 1931, when the borough was formed out cut out of Essex. And if you have any other uh, uh, vote there, it goes straight in the bin. Likewise, where I come from, in Dorset. The Tories have been in power since 1886. My Labour vote goes in the bin, and until we do something about this, until we make people in places like Barking and Dagenham feel that their voice is heard and their legitimate concerns are addressed, I think we're going to continue to have a divided society.
2: Can I just ask you, bit,
3: Billy? Are you saying that we
2: should have done something that would have kept Ford cars being made there? I mean, because obviously we have a very continental-wide car production yes, of thing. We get cheaper cars, probably, as a result of that, so people elsewhere in the country can afford cars who may not afford cars otherwise. But I'm I'm just wondering what your actual point is about what you would do for barking
3: if you were... My actual point is that rather than... um allow the market to decide for what's best, what's best for Barking, right. to allow the people of Barking to decide what's best for their borough. I think too often politicians of all parties have said, well, you know, this is just the market, we can't do anything about it. Where really, if we had the will, we could do something but about what it. But not, not what to... would
2: you do? Because, I, I, I mean, I understand it would be nice for them to have more control
3: over the destiny, but I just wonder what that would actually mean. Well, well, just an example of what it would actually mean is that, you know, we live on an island where the wind blows a lot, so starting to make water turbines and uh, 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 windmill turbines would use the same sort of engineering skills that used to be put in there in Barking and Dagenham. Obviously, if Fords want to move somewhere else, that's their business, but we've really got to look at a, a way of, of making globalisation work locally. Too much of the decision-making... And the economic power is centralised. And one of the big problems about that, I think, is that although there's been devolution uh, to Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, there's been no devolution to England. The only uh, election I get to vote in that's in any way proportional, ironically, of course, is the European Parliament election, which sadly has been taken away from me. (laughs) I don't live in London. I live in Dorset.
4: OK, next, Al. Thank you. Um, First thing I would say is that were we to have an audience here that represented england by and large some of wales as well then it would be the other way round instead of 80 20 as you suggest um, uh, for remain it would have been the other way round for exit that would for have me... been 55 45 wouldn't it really wouldn't... No. if you if you no 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 hold on a moment hold on a moment nine of uh, the the regions, only Scotland, London and Northern Ireland actually voted right. for yeah. uh, Remain.
3: Not all London. Not,
4: no, no, not Barking, no, no. Apart no, from Barking. V- v- no, very but the very <laughs> sensible. Very anyway, l- make, you can make Listen, a point. Listen, hold on, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if you let me, I'll <laughs> oh, make okay. my point. The fact is that most people in England certainly um, voted to come out. I think it's patronising to suggest... It's patronising to suggest that they didn't know what they were doing, that they were misled, that they were somehow mistaken in their uh, interpretation of what was going on, and that's why they did it. I I think that is a mistake to suggest that. For me, there were a number of messages, but the, the one for me that was loudest was that mass immigration... I emphasize mass emigration is way, way beyond what is sensible, what is in everyone's interests. They would like to see that come down. The present scale of immigration generally means that uh, within eight years, we're going to have a population of 70 million. 20 years after that, it'll be 75 million. So within a relatively short time, we're going to have another city the size of London. That is not sensible. What I would say now is let's accept it, let's get on with it, let's have a proper, uh, sensible uh, negotiating position that is going to give us what we want. One one final point. Um, A certain ex-Prime Minister said in November 2014 that in seven years, uh, in in ten years, our population increased by 7%. No country had ever seen such a movement of people in post-war peacetime Europe. A small island like ours, he said, cannot absorb such numbers at such speed without large public disquiet. That was John Major. I agreed with him then, I agreed with him now.
2: And and just a quick follow-up. I mean, there there are those on the Leave side who have said it wasn't immigration that was the primary concern. Are you you nodding your head, Suzanne? Yeah. And I, I just... What do you say to those who say it wasn't? Everywhere you went, it was taking back control that was the phrase that was the one that grabbed attention. It wasn't... We're overrun by foreigners. Well,
4: taking back control may be, but part of it was in order to have control over immigration. And the fact is that you you went around the country, as I did, as everyone did, talking to people. Most people, to me, said either they were going to come out or stay in. But a lot of those who said, I'm going to vote remain, also said, actually, my heart tells me to do something different and I would argue that if they, would, um, allowed, if they had allowed their heart to control what they would voted, the vote in, for, for Brexit may have been even larger.
2: We've got two theories as to what the vote was telling us. We've got the kind of protest against globalisation, the, 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 the immigration being the event. Suzanne, why don't you go next?
5: Thank you, Evan. Well, your original question was, what have we learnt from this vote? And I think the first thing we've learnt is that the British spirit triumphs. It's indefatigable. And optimism actually triumphs. Optimism for a country, a future for Britain, as a country that can go it alone, that can stand on its own two feet and be strong, outrode the majority over public fear, project fear, about what would happen if we left the European Union. And I think that optimism has so far shown to be Right. Armageddon hasn't happened. The economy hasn't collapsed. Yes, there's been some uncertainty, but we on the Leave campaign always acknowledge that. We said there are risks of staying in as well as risks of leaving. And you look at what's happening now. I think by the time we do leave the European Union, we will have trade deals ready to be signed with some of the world's economic powerhouses. Countries like India, like China, like the USA, countries that the EU has been desperately trying to sign trade deals with, with a very long time, but has failed. I think the other thing we've learnt is, you remember that phrase, it's the economy, stupid? I think that's been proved wrong. Everybody felt this referendum would be judged on its economic arguments and who would win those but in fact it wasn't and as we've just been talking about the British people actually decided that the issues of sovereignty were far more important and that was the majority of reasons given in polls as to why people voted to leave the European Union. So I think that's good that the majority of us think that there are some things that are more important than money and democracy is definitely one of them, being able to make our own laws. So I'm very heartened by that, less heartened personally by the fact as as, as Alf intimated, that there are some who don't like democracy when you don't get the answer that you want. A couple of other final observations. It looks as though we've learned that people don't believe experts anymore, and particularly not economists, and that, to go back to what I said originally, they certainly won't trust experts when they seem to have vested interests, putting their own interests forward and trying to frighten you into voting another way. And finally, perhaps a more tongue-in-cheek comment... I think we've learnt that referendums can take down prime ministers. I think perhaps we should have more of them.
2: <laughs> um, Suzanne, <coughs> I mean, I'm sort of reading into... I'm, I'm trying to find what we've got. It was an anti-globalisation vote, it was an anti-immigration vote. I'm, your pitch really is that it was an anti elite, expert establishment vote. Is that right? Is that your belief? It I think was... it was
5: very much that too, but I think it always was. You know, the main slogan, which worked very effectively at the Leave campaign, is let's take back control. Mm. It's about losing control. It's about, for me, it was about the fact that I want to vote into power, the politicians who I can then vote out of the ballot box if they screw up. And the European Union had gradually taken over huge policy areas. Uh, almost the only things that we had full control of left in this country, in the EU, were the NHS and education. And the, uh, the EU was even trying to it, get its it sticky it fingers onto those. So it's ant- about taking back control, being able to vote into power, the people that make our laws, vote them out if they screw up. That, for me, was the most important thing. And as I said, polling showed that was the most important thing for most people Do you,
2: do you trust experts,
6: Suzanne?
5: They say say an an X is a has been, and a spurt (laughs) is a drip under pressure, don't they? So um, I I think you know, you look at some of the economic experts that were on the Remain side. They got just about everything else wrong. They didn't predict the 2008 crash. Um, They had made a failed prediction after failed prediction. So I think, of course, it's sensible to listen to experts. But what this referendum showed for me is that British people were sensible enough to realise when the experts were experts who've got it wrong in the past and therefore possibly couldn't be trusted as much as okay. they might like to think they should be? Well,
2: we're going to go to an expert sitting next to you I now. Ex- <laughs> sure
5: it's it's like, that, was like that was the
7: best <laughs> intro of all time. It's like, <laughs> right, <laughs> so we're not going to defend in principle. The, um, yeah, it's, it's always nice to go straight from, hi, I run an economics think tank, to then be told that experts know nothing. The, um, it's, it's amazing that any experts out in public after the last uh, few months... But anyway, look, the, um, so I run an economics research institute and economics, as Billy has said, and culture, um, partly as Alpha said, are key factors in what's happened over the last uh, month. But I'm doing something different today. I think I'm the youth rep. The, uh, the, um, so I'm going to talk a bit about what is going on with the age divide in the vote. And look, if you look at what happened on the 23rd of June, it's certainly clear that age mattered. That it mattered by individuals. So on the data we have by individuals' voting patterns, uh, 75% of the under 25s voted to remain. Uh, 60% of the over-65s voted to leave. Actually, no region of Britain voted to leave as strongly as the under-25s voted to remain. So like, age is definitely doing something in here. Now, the tipping point is around 45. But once you hit 45, not only do you have a midlife crisis, but you also, on average, start voting leave rather than remain. <laughs> you may or may not think they're connected. I'll leave you to judge. But the, um, uh, so age does matter. The... Um, Right, on place, age also matters, not just individuals. So even compensating for, you know, the fact that there's how the individuals voted, if you live in a place where more people are old, your area as a whole is more likely to have voted um, to leave. um, And actually, if you're in an area with a large number of students, even after taking into account all other relevant considerations insofar as we can, you're still disproportionately as an area likely to have voted for uh, remain So both at the individual level and at the place level, it matters what age people are and what an age, of place feels like. The, um, now, the, um, in some ways, you're like, well, that's, that's not exactly massively surprising. The, um, but it does tell us a bit about a generational divide in the country. Now, why might it not be surprising? Well, the young are obviously used to travelling more, the, um, and part of the debate about the EU is obviously about ease of... Uh, traveling, And they're also more connected, what they think of as normal in terms of uh, communications between countries and interactions and is just different, they're, and so that's part of it. There's also a basic thing. So I said to you that 45 is the tipping point when you have your crisis and then you start voting for leave, but it is also um, the point at which you weren't born when Britain joined the EEC. So if you weren't alive in an era where we have been a country that wasn't part of a European collective uh, organization of this site sort, you're probably more likely to think that world is, is a possible world to live in. So that's, you know, part of what is um, going on. Now, the, um, now, a lot of the debate about the youth the, um, uh, is about, um, you have seen all the stuff saying, why didn't they bother turning out? It's their own fault. They didn't, get, you know, we, they only lost by 4%. They bothered turning out, they'd have got that. And you might have seen a lot of figures that were being bandied around in the days after the vote saying only 36% of those under 25 bothered turning out. Now, what that number is, is a lie. um, So that number is based on some poor little statos inside Sky News accidentally using the wrong study, uh, which was actually based on turnout in the 2015 general election. um, uh, So that's not true. um, What is true is that we, as far as we know, because obviously there was no exit poll, you all have noticed, there, was no, there wasn't the normal thing you get at 10 o'clock at night, and my background is in party politics, so I'm used to the joy and angst of exit polls at 10pm. That didn't happen this time, obviously. You had to stay up till kind of 2, 3 to get a better result. But the exit poll is what normally tells us what the turnout rate was by age. That didn't exist, so we don't really know. The best data we have is that it's about 65% turnout for the under-35s, and that is only about 8% lower than the average. So, you know, insofar as they didn't turn out, they didn't turn out as well as they might, but they, didn't turn out, uh, they, did, they did turn out compared to a normal general election. And actually, uh, unlike most general elections since 97, 97 is the tipping point when the young stopped bothering voting, really. Before that, they're not that different. After 97, they stopped voting compared to the old. They, um, uh, but in general, they turned out more for this vote than they have for most... Uh, general elections. Now, just two other brief points. One, on this 16- and 17-year-olds issue, i.e. if they'd all been allowed to vote it would have been a stonking victory for Remain. Again, that falls into the not counting problem. There aren't enough 16- and 17-year-olds, it wouldn't have made a difference. There, you might, you can then think it's a good or bad thing, but it wouldn't have changed the result. And secondly, this thing about age and generational divide isn't just about the individuals concerned. So if you are a Leave voter, which is where we should get on to some of this optimism, not optimism question about Britain, if you're a Leave voter... You, by a margin of 60 to 40%, think that most children in Britain today are going to have a worse life than their parents. And the flip side is true for Remain voters. So, even, it's not just about the young. The, um, uh, right, now, conclusion, where does all that leave us? One, the results in, let's not get overexcited about arguments about some people's votes being worth more than others, you know, although clearly the people that didn't get the result they wanted are going to be the ones living with it for more years on average, because obviously people die at different ages. Then, uh, secondly, though... There is a generational divide in our country, and it is reflected in increasingly both in economics and in cultures. And that is not a good thing, because in the end, societies like families are collective organisations for sharing risk and supporting each other through the generations, and we don't want that divide getting any bigger. Thirdly, look, government can't do everything to sort that, but they could at least stop making it worse. So we can't undo this vote, why don't we try building some houses so that the young don't think that we're aiming to stuff them over. And if you look what Theresa May has inherited in terms of tax and benefit plans from David Cameron, if those go ahead over the next four years, they will take £1.7 billion from the millennials, they're the people born between 1980 and 2000, and give £1.2 billion to the baby boomers. Now, whatever else you think about those tax and benefit plans, that is probably not, this isn't the best time to have policy that exacerbates the generational divide.
2: Although I see many in the room here will probably welcome such a distribution. But, um, Torsten, in a yeah. sentence, and Irene, a sentence, a lot of what we've been talking about, or we're going to talk about in a second, is about inequality yeah. and winners and losers from globalization. I just want you to give us the facts on income inequality over the last 30 years. Because I think there's a sort of a view that it's just been a straight line of yeah. increasing inequality. But is it as simple as that? So,
7: when it comes to inequality, it shares something in common with bad music, which is that it's all about the 1980s. So inequality basically structurally increases during... Not you, Billy. <laughs> not you, Billy. Billy. <laughs> You've kept going. It's not your fault, mate. What do you want? <laughs> you mean Spandau Ballet, don't you? I mainly mean Spandau Ballet. <laughs> but, okay. but we are all going to have to take our responsibility <laughs> for Billy for what happened during what was a terrible ten years for Britain. Now, the, um, so the Uh, So inequality basically structurally increases, basically actually straight across the 1980s in a large way. And then it it more or less, although there are important changes, but it more or less stays constant across the rest of the the 30-year period Evan raises. Except that the very well-off in society in Britain, across the late 90s and 2000s, did carry on pulling away. So the, the big inequality is a 1980s phenomenon, uh, but if you were really rich, it was a good time to be really rich in the 90s and the 2000s. I just wanted that, that, that line. So I want
2: to sort of summarise, I, wa- I want to know whether the unifying thing of all of your presentations, whether it's a bit anti-establishment, we don't like experts anymore, we're not going to be told how to behave, we don't like Jean-Claude Juncker... Uh, We don't like immigration in the uncontrolled level we've seen it. We don't like globalisation. Is there basically... Is the simplest way of caricaturing the vote as one that broadly was one about winners and losers from the economic system that has prevailed over the last 20 or 30 years? I mean, is that a... Is that the kind of the best way of looking at the division our country has and what the vote told us, Billy?
3: I think, I think it is, because I think that's why the, the, the slogan take back control was so powerful. Because if your sort of hopes of the future, uh, economic and social, have been sort of derailed by forces beyond your control, then the sense of, of, of not being heard, of not uh, yep. uh, being able to to... to Elect people that represent you or, that, you know, whether it's uh, a centralised state that you live in, if you live in England, or technocrats are coming from Europe. That, that idea, I think, re- that's why it resonates so powerfully. Yeah, and, and now, do,
2: would you buy that there is a lot of that going on in this vote? I know you think immigration is it, but it, would you not agree that the correlation between fears of immigration or discontent with it are often in the areas where people feel the economic opportunity isn't there for them?
4: I, I wouldn't like to say that... Well, I don't, I'm not saying that the whole reason why people right. voted out was immigration. Right. I made that point. There are a variety of reasons. Immigration, not anti-immigration, they just want less of it. Yeah. That, that was clearly a very powerful message that came out. But there are all sorts of other things. I, I'm from the part of London that, that uh, Billy's from, despite what I sound like now, um, A lot of my East End friends, kids that I grew up with who live elsewhere now, some of them in leafier parts of, of England, a lot of them were saying to me, look, I am proud to be English. I really feel strongly about being English. Now, my wife is Welsh. She's proud to be Welsh. That's okay, There are those who are second generation Indian, Pakistani, whatever, who are very proud to be Pakistani uh, or Romanian or whatever. However, the moment you say, I'm proud to be English, somehow that's bigoted and that is somehow racist. They resent that. Right. And that is a very powerfully felt feeling around So there's an the identity
2: country. issue, which you're saying is beyond mere economic That's advantage one of them, or yeah, disadvantage.
4: This is but would you, would of you
2: this is. disagree if I said a lot of this, at least, was about... The kind of the winners and losers from the economic system of the last 20 or 30 well, well, years. Well,
4: clearly, if people right. were happy, were desperately happy... They about wouldn't vote what for change. they wouldn't vote yeah.
2: for change. Yeah. Suzanne, you, you, you agree with it, don't you? I'm going to put this to the well, audience in a 2nd I'm, I'm
5: not sure you can make quite such a wide generalisation. I mean, I was on the campaign trail, obviously... And it was people from all walks of life who were voting leave. It certainly wasn't the elites that were voting Remain and the the non-elite that were voting leave. That might have broken down like that in a majority, but that's not the sense that I got on the streets, really. In fact, a friend of mine was at Ascot, and he told me he went into the Gents Lose, and he got a vote leave thing on his... Hat, which I didn't think you're allowed to do, but anyway, he had a little one. And He said everybody in the loo was saying, "Yeah, great, vote leave, fantastic." So you know, if, right. if the people that go to Ascot are the elites in society, most of the people that he met there were actually voting to leave. So I so didn't break down quite we that We don't simply. want to reduce
2: it too much to this, but I, I no. I think there's always a I, danger I,
5: with anything of trying to reduce it to its lowest common denominator to get a nice soundbite for the telly, and you can't always do that. <laughs> ah, a <bit> Sorry, harsh. <laughs> uh,
2: Torsten, you would for? you would you agree with my summary of it?
7: The um, uh, so, I mean, you, helpfully, we have a lot of data on why different areas voted as they did. So we do, I think on some of this, you know, it's good, um, we're all anti-experts, I know, so I'll try and minimise the expertise here, but there is, like, a basic, like, we're stating some facts here as if they are, like, definitely givens, but they're not, we do know on some of these things what was driving the vote. Like, we know on migration, It's not to do with the level of migration in particular areas. Actually, the level of migration, how many literally numbers of people there are. Actually, if you have more migrants, you're more likely to have voted for Remain. Only a little bit, but you're more likely. You're definitely not doing the other way. Uh, What matters on migration is where there were areas that had small numbers of migrants in the past, and saw large, not absolute numbers, but large percentage increases in migration flows over the course of the last 10 years, there was a direct correlation with who voted to leave. So that's Lincoln, Gravesend. These are places that didn't have big migrant populations in the mid-2000s and now don't have large. They're not like, like Bethnal Green on the way out towards... Dagenham, they're not. They're not like even Boston like Dagenham. And
5: Lincoln have got so very Boston, large immigration populations. Clacton as well. So Boston is like an tax.
7: exception, but Boston is a Boston's a very special case. So let's, but, okay. but, but on most of those areas, they do not have, in absolute terms, large migrant populations. Those tend to be in the big cities. What they had was no migration Birmingham until. Voted
5: out. Yeah, no. Look, no, no, the West Midlands surprise? actually,
7: interestingly, okay. the Midlands is actually is Leave central. To? It is not the. It's not like. The, it's not the north, the northwest, and the northeast. Actually, once you control for everything else, are less likely to have voted Leave. The Midlands is. the the leave powerhouse right. on this vote. But, they, but, on, but on the macro question, which is, is this about globalisation and is it about a system that doesn't work for everyone, that is definitely yeah. a large part of it. But we should speak, we should, the only thing we should be careful about is it's not about some kind of... It's not about recent changes over the last ten years when most of Britain has been yeah. seeing a pay squeeze. Most of Britain has done pretty badly over the last ten years. Yeah. Some areas have done really badly. The young have done really badly. That is not driving the vote. What is driving the vote is deep-rooted pay differences between parts of the country. If you are a poor area and you were poor back in 2000, you are much more likely to have voted Leave. It is to do with the underlying structure of our economy, not to do with temporary changes.
2: Before I... I want to throw to you, but I just want to ask one question. Billy, I'm particularly interested in your opinion on this. I want to be the first one to throw this into the mix. There's been a lot of... You know, a lot of concern on the left about inequality and growth of inequality... I want to suggest... Hypothesis, not opinion, obviously. I want to suggest that spatial inequality... It's it's not about the number of rich and the number of poor. It's about a sense in some areas that if you're born in that area, you can't get a decent job in London because you'll never be able to afford to move Mm. in there. uh, And there are no jobs in your area. And it's this spatial inequality Mm. that is the problem that has fueled a lot of people feeling like they have no they have no stake. So Britain, on the whole, in the post-industrial age, mm. hasn't performed strikingly badly. No. I mean, the economy's in fact grown pretty well since the yeah. 1980s. Per capita GDP is up. Inequality, as we heard, hasn't changed that much since the, the kind of the first ravages of it all in the 1980s. And yet, somehow the discontent feels to have got more intense. And I just wonder whether it's, it's about geographical inequalities rather than personal.
3: Well, it's, it's definitely true that uh, there's an imbalance economically between London and the South East yeah. and the rest of Britain, or I'd say the rest of England. Yeah. Because I think exactly. Scotland, because of because of uh, devolution, Scotland, and to some extent Wales, well, and definitely Northern Ireland, have been able to make their own economic weather. Whereas areas of like the West Country where I come from, uh, the North East, North West, they are really still having to deal... With that, hence the, um, uh, you know, the, the George Osborne's attempts to bring in the, the city devolution, to try and decentralise some power away. And I think if If you were uh, able to do that, if you were able to... If devolution in England, for instance, was... um, Obviously, an English parliament would just make... London's power would be bigger. But if you had regional assemblies, most of the English regions are the same size as Scotland, therefore they have the same kind of tax base. If they had Holyrood powers, they would be able to work on their own kind of uh, uh, economic ideas and generate, by, perhaps by working together with other regions, to rebalance the English economy with regard to London and the South East. Yeah. So I think you're definitely onto something there. Can
2: I just ask, how many people here would favour some kind of regional assemblies or regional parties. as one of the responses to this, of sort of how many people are in favour of English devolution, if you like, on a sort of... How many people would be against English devolution? Say again? Well, okay, I'm I'm giving you English regions. How many of you would favour an English parliament, say, in Manchester? The the English parliament doing health, you know... Schools, police, and that kind of stuff, all the English stuff. How many would favour an English parliament in Manchester? And how many would be against another parliament? Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not very, very well developed. Okay, look, I want to take uh, some questions, comments. Evan, can I just uh, add one oh, thing actually on this?
7: Go on, yeah, so go on, on this, on this inequality thing, like we do know, we know the answer on whether inequality within a particular area affected the vote, and the answer is it didn't. So if there are more, a simple level of inequality within a particular geographical area does not lead to more people voting to leave or to remain. Then it is the level, it's the geographical, spatial differences between right. areas that matters.
2: But it's the sense in some areas. I mean, you know mostly, one would say, the post-industrial areas or the coastal towns that haven't seen much, a sense that they see what's going on
7: in London and the booming parts
2: and the sense of... Yeah, you should be careful. Immor- we
7: are, like, we are, that, none of that explanation works for any of the gin-drinking Tory shires at all. No, no. And so and so we should be, I, it turns out there's a lot of gin being consumed, so you're kind of, you need to... You know, yeah, I no, can't no, ignore the Tory it totally. shires is very
2: different. That's yeah. OK, we're going to take a few comments and questions. We've got some roving mics. I can't see the rovers. Yes, there's one here. We'll take this gentleman in the second row here, and then we'll take uh, a guy in the second from the back over there. He's got... I think you've got glasses and a Czech shirt. Yeah, but we'll take you first, sir.
6: Right. Is it working? Yes. Suzanne, the smiling assassin. Uh, I, I, I've listened to so your... You're, you're the smiling insti- assassin. I've been listening to your jingoistic and, and uh, incorrect assertions. Uh, quite nonsensical, I might say. Just keep it, keep it brief, sir. What, 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 what's your well, point? Well, first of all, I'd like to challenge some of the points she made. She made the point that nobody saw... The uh, the crash coming totally incorrect. People did see it, I can't hear what and, and let me give you a good example. Mr. Carney made his name in Canada uh, by seeing the 2008 crash coming. He adjusted the Canadian economy to to uh, um, allow it, and, and Canada as a result did much better than most other countries in fighting okay. that recession. I, I, so what, so and he is the man that we paid masses of money over to here to guide our economy that you personally rubbished. The okay. expert, he was a man who saw okay, it... OK, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't want to get into you, ..and you said you, nobody saw it. And we pay him an inordinate amount of money, by the okay. way, too much of my opinion. Point made. To... Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you. going we take the guy at the back over there? Yeah, go ahead.
8: Yeah, so my question is to the entirety of the panel, which is actually, what do you think about the impact that British government policy Can has had Can you just put the our... mic closer to your mouth? Yeah, OK. So the major point here that I'm trying to make is if you actually think about the impact of migration, it's not actually migrants itself that seem to be the problems in a lot of areas. It's actually the government response to dealing with this migration. That seems to be the really pertinent issue. It's not the fact, oh, no, we can't deal with these numbers. It's the fact that we actually can deal with these numbers in a lot of areas, but there is woefully substandard policy. And actually, we've sort of bogeymaned the European Union as being to be... to be to blame for this but really there should be a sense of you know
2: can i just ask what be what would be the policy that you know the, what should we have done that we didn't do
8: so for example in the area of the country i come from west yorkshire there is a significant cultural political social economic divide between the british asian community and what is seen as the native british community if such a thing actually exists um, and the idea is, is that you need to look for greater community engagement. And I think that local councils and actually metropolitan councils and the national government could have done a lot more to invest in those sorts of areas. And I actually think a lot of the fuel for the fire that parties like UKIP and the anti-establishment parties have gained is actually a response to the, to the failings of the British government for the okay. last 30 or 40 Point years. well made. I'll do you think if we'd coped better with migration
2: we would probably have a more com- a country more at ease with it.
4: Uh, that's the whole point, Evan, that we couldn't cope with it because of the scale of it. There was no concern about immigration in the 19. 19- there was relatively little concern about uh, migration in the 1990s. With regard to EU migration, it's only in the last three years or so that it's actually become significant and got to the point where it does bring about the sort of pressures that lead to the concerns that people have voiced.
2: The last three years? But you had... Migration Watch has been going for a decade or more, hasn't it, campaigning against migration?
4: It, I said EU migration. EU migration has, has all but doubled in the last three years.
3: The terrible irony in all that is that Margaret Thatcher insisted that the, uh, the former uh, Eastern Bloc countries came into the European Union uh, so that they could act as a counterweight against the united Germany. And now, it was totally by, and now well, well, well it, was, it was Thatcher initially in, in, who wanted to push it's for them to come, and after the, after the Berlin Wall came down, because <coughs> she was afraid of a united Germany. And the terrible irony is now that through our, 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 our plebiscite, we have now left uh, the European Union and Germany rather reluctantly, has no choice but to take that role that Margaret Thatcher was so afraid of.
2: Uh, more questions. We've got a lady down here next to the... I'll, and I'm looking for other women. Yeah, and then we'll take the lady in the middle over there, yes, with a green pen in her hand, yes. You start, and then we'll keep the green pen in the air so the mic can come to you. There we are. Thank Go. You very much. In front of your mouth. Your mouth. Put the, the that's up. it.
9: Yeah. that's it, that's it. Is that that's good? Um, my question is slightly different. It is, and it isn't covered by your debate. Um, I have to conclude that... What I learned from the referendum is that people, including the media, including the public, and including the MPs, did not understand it, that there is no mandate for Brexit, and that is because um, it was an advisory referendum. What follows an advisory referendum is that it goes to government, and they take it as one consideration amongst many, and that includes amongst considering the young in in the country who cannot vote. And what is in the interests of the people. And if you look at mandatory um, referenda for constitutional change, they would require a supermajority. The Tory party requires a two-thirds majority. The Tory party had no right to assume... Directly after the vote, that Brexit has won. Because, in fact, if you take all the considerations, <coughs> the status quo. Thank you.
2: I, I, I think your point's been well made, and I think we, we, we're very, very, very aware of it. Uh, Lady with a green pen, and then we'll go to yes. a gent right at the can back in a white shirt. Yes, we sorry. My
10: point rather follows on from the point of the previous lady, actually, because in my view, this is the most important decision in the national interest of the United Kingdom, not England, Scotland, and Wales. I'm a member. I'm British. And um, this is the most important decision in the national interest of the United Kingdom since the end of the Second World War. Now, any government minister of state would not have the temerity to make such a decision without considerable briefing papers from professional, objective civil servants, which would contain evidence-based arguments from experts for the pros and cons of making such a decision. And no such person, Suzanne would have the temerity to make a decision without looking at those, how so then can you expect the British public to make a decision without being adequately and properly informed? Thank you. I,
2: um, and I, the, I think we've got the question. I, would I, I, Suzanne like... Can I, can I stop you? Because I don't, I don't want us to get too involved. I was going to ask this, actually, when we do the programme later. Um, I don't know if it, have any of you read Matthew Parris' piece in The Times today. Yes. It's a very good piece. It's basically about a lot of you in the room here, um, (laughs) grieving Remainers, (laughs) and he's saying, it's time to move on. You've got to accept the result. And I I just wonder... (laughs) uh, Wait, wait, wait! How many of you... Wait, wait, Matthew Paris is a very passionate Remainer, by the way. I just want... He's a very passionate Remainer. I just want to know, how many of you who voted Remain... I'm going to give you a choice. Don't put your hand up yet. How many of you believe you must accept the result and make the best of it? which for him is, by the way, the closest thing to EU that you can get in the world of Brexit rather than um, any of the harder versions. So how many of you, in a minute, how many of you think we need to make the best of it and how many of you still think we should try and reverse it? So how many of you would like to make the best of Brexit? And how many of you think the emphasis should be on trying to reverse it? Well, that's
5: encouraging,
2: or or not do it yeah okay so it's about i'd say a little bit more for making the best of it we might have a bit of discussion on that in the in the live program right i'm going to take the gent in the white shirt it looks white from here right at the back and
0: upstairs
2: oh sorry i'll I'll tell you what we'll take upstairs first sorry i've been looking at that mic there was no one at that mic and i i i I didn't there isn't a mic there it's over there okay we'll take the one upstairs then we'll take you sir yes go ahead
0: My question sort of simply boils down to would we have exited if we hadn't had austerity? The the broader point I'd like to make is I think it was a perfect storm that's been waiting for us for about 20, 25 years. A combination of a dislocation of most of us from mainstream politics, and this is partly a bloody nose for the political establishment, austerity... And that's the real problem with communities that are suffering. It's not about blaming the migrant. It's about the unregulated housing sector. It's about the pressure on wages. It's about companies who are still allowed to hire workers from abroad and pay them less than they would if it were recruiting local people to those jobs. And I think it's about 20, 25, 30, 35 years of blaming everything on Brussels. And finally, um, so this is to all the panel, our presenter included, it's about a pretty pitiful performance from the media... Because with the exception of Newsnight... (laughs) With with the exception of of Newsnight and a couple of other places, actually, most of what we heard was a very, very limited debate. I went to listen to one mainstream political leader give a speech, pretty good speech, quite interesting. He was a Remain and reformer. Um, I came back to watch BBC News to see the coverage of the speech, and instead I got one minute and 45 seconds of Boris Johnson auctioning a cow in a common agricultural policy stunt. Now, Thank if we you. think that informs us, it just doesn't. So I think this perfect storm of dislocation from politics, austerity, a poor performance by the media, and a bloody nose to the Brussels people we've been blamed for everything for the last Good. 30 Thank years, you.
2: that's what did Thank it. Thank you very much. I, I'd like you to keep your... <laughs> keep your intervention short. We've got a whole afternoon, so there will be plenty of time for... Torsten, I want to ask you, I don't know, is there any data? So the clearest untruth was the 350 million, wasn't it? I mean, it was simply there was no 350 million. Um, Is there any data as to whether people actually believed it? Everybody knew about it. Do we know whether people believe it? Because I, I think people probably didn't believe it. I mean, they, we, we told them innu- innumerable times not to believe it, and I would imagine they didn't believe
7: it. I'm not sure it matters if they... I mean, do they, did they believe in pounds and pence they were yeah. going to get 350 million million a week for the NHS? Almost certainly not. Mm, that they, um, would be my view. Were they aware that um, there was, uh, one side was pushing an argument mm. that there would be some more money for the NHS yeah. if they stopped the Clearly. Brussels bureaucrats sucking all? Yes, and... And the fact that there was a row about whether it was true or not yeah. actually made the message much more powerful yep. than a straight That's reporting it. of was it true or not. I mean, you know, so my background is in party politics. The, um, th- this, like, there is definitely, there is definitely something, something has happened. Two things have happened to our media class, which are affecting some of what you're talking about in terms of how politics is reported. One is... Um, one is that they are that they've they've lost their bottle. In particular, slightly the BBC, which is they are very they're much more reluctant to say um, one side's saying this, one side saying this, um, but really the fact is like Zed, are much more likely to have a package which is what 30 seconds from one politician saying um, you know the sky is black, another one says the sky is blue, and they're like who knows it's black or blue 50 50. Um, now, but although the reason they do that, though, is because they are aiming for impartiality. So there's, there's, like, to be fair, there's, they just, but they have lost their confidence. The elite in Britain, actually, for all the kind of the idea that the elite is very powerful nowadays, actually, collectively, it's lost its bottle, basically, more or less. Um, yeah.
9: very...
2: Sorry. Okay. Did you want to talk? Yeah, very, yeah, very if, quick, because we've got another two minutes, and we're going. And then I'm, I'm going to. You know, you know, um,
4: Gorbachev sorry, Khrushchev, Khrushchev said that a politician is someone who says they will build you a bridge even where there's no river. I think people (laughs) are well aware of the fact that there are distortions, there are all sorts of exaggerations in these sort of campaigns. Mm -hmm. My question...
7: My my, my,
4: my question to our friends here is, had the a result gone the other way...
2: Don't ask this one, because we're who, going to get into a very... Who, I know where you're going. Who would have said this
4: is grossly unfair? I, it's a, it's a I good doubt question. doubt
2: that many would. It's a good question. Don't answer. Don't rise. Because we don't want to go. I'm going to take the, lot, the gentleman at the back there very quickly and then we're going to close. Uh, hello, yes, thank you. Uh, I had two comments to make. Uh, Just about... one, please. Just pick your best one, because we haven't got much time. Uh, uh, OK, in answer to the lady down there
3: who said that the referendum was advisory, <clears throat> that is true. Um... Parliament does have the final sovereignty. However, there is a higher sovereignty, and that is the people's
2: sovereignty, and the people have spoken. And you're a Brexiteer who wants us to accept the result. I did
3: hundreds of hours of work in Westminster Tower.
2: Okay.
5: ever before voted in this referendum. Yeah. I think that says something about, as the lady was saying, how significant both of you are saying, how significant a decision that is. And I think we got that point across. It was far more than significant than any general election, because it's about who governs Britain. And the British people overwhelmingly decided they didn't want the European Union governing Britain any longer.
2: Wait, 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 please. Can I just... We're going to end... We're going to end, I'm going to give Billy Bragg, I'm going to give Billy Bragg the last word, but, but, but not the word you wanted, Billy, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think Brexit will do anything to heal the divisions that we've talked about around winners, losers, young no, old? No,
3: because the, the idea of uh, um, uh, unelected lawmakers will not be applied to the House of Lords. Because the idea of a, uh, 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 an elite that doesn't listen to anybody will not be applied to the English who don't have any proportional voting out there. And no, because the, the idea of taking back control will not be applied to those who have economic power over. Last word, Suzanne. Do you think
2: Brexit will heal all the stuff we've been talking around in no, terms of, of Of
5: course it won't, and I'd be the first to admit that. It will give us the power to be able to address some of the issues. But politics is broken. Politics is not going well. You know, there are all kinds of things I'd like to change in politics to make it more honest, to make it more open, to make it more transparent, to make it more democratic. And we've still got an awful lot of work to do in order to achieve that, but that is a whole new other debate.
2: OK, we're going to leave that first panel there. Can we please thank our four panellists? Agree with them or not?
1: Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter.